This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Danny B here from the Words and Nerds Podcast. And today I'm so excited to be a guest on Sam's The Right Way Podcast. I've been following Sam since the very first episode of this wonderful podcast. And I'm going to be talking about my debut pitch book, My Extraordinary Mum. So I'm super excited to be here talking about this book but super duper excited to have sam interview me and the tables turned on us yeah thank you so much for that brilliant introduction there danny v and hello to everyone out there in digital land listening to this particular episode of the right way podcast program with me your host samuel elliott person whom you just heard introduced in this episode is none other than tonight's guest today's guest this afternoon's guest whatever time you're listening to this one's guest Danny V. So Danny V is the host of the Words and Nerds podcast, the Words and Nerds podcast, which is, I would say, I think it's fair to say is one of the most uh, prominent or preeminent sort of Australian podcasts related to the writing sphere, the writing craft, as well as the sort of publishing industry. Danny has interviewed hundreds of guests, literally hundreds of guests, some of the most uh, sort of prominent writers within Australia and overseas international writers as well. So yeah, Danny is incredibly accomplished within the podcasting sphere as well as within her own writing as well and on a completely related side note Danny also was instrumental in helping me set up this podcast in terms of giving me some uh, really really priceless and valuable feedback and uh, suggestions instructions uh, some cheeky email tutorials when I was trying to set up my podcast so naturally I haven't forgotten that never will uh, and it will never not be a million trillion times grateful for what Danny has done for setting up the um, the right way podcast just with her help and for everything that she does with the words and notes podcast as well but anyway I digress we were discussing today was her first published children's picture book which is my ex- Extraordinary Mum, which Danny V had written, and she worked in collaboration with Alexandra Colombo on the illustrations as well. So My Extraordinary Mum uh, follows the titular mum and daughter, and basically uh, it's, it's packed full of some very wholesome content and some very important, I think, ideas and themes there for children to, uh, to appreciate, as well as with their parents. Uh, basically about embracing one's own identity, being extraordinary, uh, without sort of feeling to one has to conform to any sort of uh, notion of what makes extraordinary extraordinary. So you don't need to be always big and bold and colourful to be defined as extraordinary. Extraordinary comes in many different forms, but it's important to thine own self be true. And we talked a lot about that as well as why it's okay to not be okay and to have quiet days and to also to ensure that the people around you know they're extraordinary as well, what you can do and why it's so important to let other people know, not just those you know and love, but also it can be people you don't know uh, as to how important it is to make them feel they're extraordinary as well or remind them that they are extraordinary, I should say, because it's uh, so important in this world of ours. So uh, as I would have expected, we had a very, very deep conversation and it was just an absolute joy to talk to Danny V. So without further ado, I'd like you all to give a big digital round of applause to Danny V discussing with me her debut children's picture book, My Extraordinary Mum. Danny V, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way podcast program this evening. How you doing? Oh, I'm really well, but I haven't gotten used to being the interviewee, Sam. I have no control. It's killing me. (laughs) 
It's been a hell of a journey in terms of uh, in terms of getting to this point because yeah, I've listened to many of your many episodes of your show. You really helped me out when I was uh, when I was trying to figure out how to kind of get my own show ground. So it's uh, it's a bit surreal and a bit yeah surreal and very enjoyable. I'd I'd say of this stuff. Uh, yeah, but it's cool going on these journeys with people. You know, like I remember meeting you at a, a Faber course yep. where we were writing crime and. You know, then you were starting a podcast and we talked about, you know, if I wasn't the expert by all means. I was saying, here's what I do. I don't know if you need to talk about podcasting. Not many people do. So I'm your gal. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then the journey from there, you know, to publication and you've got yourself a literary agent. And <laughs> so it's it's kind of cool that, um, you know, we met when we did and then we're going on these parallel journeys together as podcasters and writers. It's cool, right? I'm loving it. I'm loving it so much. But um, what I wanted to start off with is the question I always like to start with. It's a good, it's a good opener. I find is to find out, and I want to find out also just to, just to preface that I want to find out how you pronounce my extraordinary mum. Because I was going to say extra because it's all in caps, ordinary mum. But I wanted to hear <laughs> from you as to. I do say my extraordinary mum, but okay. I guess the writing was just a bit of a play on words because she's a bit extra. Mm. And so we thought, let's put the extra in caps, but I do call it my extraordinary mum. But I won't be insulted if someone says my extra ordinary mum. <laughs> Annie, how did my extraordinary mum come about? What, uh, what's, what served as the inspiration for it? I'd always thought I'd like to write kids' books. Mm. And I always loved picture books because I think they're magical because they're memories, you know, that you read to your kids and they're memories that you had written to you. And then I just thought, you know, I'm just so tired of reading my kids' stories where mums just aren't fun and they're just there to nurture and they're kind of there for everybody else. Mm. And that's okay to a certain extent. But I sort of looked at myself and looked around at all the women I know and have known and they're really fun, adventurous, career-driven, educated, fabulous women. And I thought... What if our kids never see that? You know, a lot of my, a lot of the time, my kids will see me as the person forcing them to eat vegetables and go to school and ironing their uniform because you do have to do all of that stuff and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I thought to myself, what if my kids only ever see me in this box? What if everyone's kids only ever see them in that box? It's like when you know your grandparents, right? You only know your grandparents when they're old. Every kid knows their grandparents when they're old or oldish. Mm. And then you start to find out about their lives or you look at photos and you're like, oh, my God, Pop was hot. Do you know what I mean? And you start going, wow, they had this life that I've never known about and never can know about. And so I just wanted to open that door of, yes, we are parents and sometimes it's hard to be that fun-loving person when you've got all the responsibility. But I wanted our kids to see that we are many different things. We're not just that person cooking dinner or handing out the Band-Aids. Apparently that's all we're good for in most mainstream stories. It's really true. But in terms of the sort of familial dynamic between a mum and a daughter, what was it that sort of captured your attention about that in particular as compared to like, was it, did you always envision it as a, as a little girl or was there, was it? possibly as a little boy at some point, or was it just that particular dynamic that sort of caught your attention? Yeah, look, it wasn't the gender really mm. that was at all. It was the relationship. And I think yep. you can read it as a son, as a daughter, as a father, as a mother, as whatever. And I think what's important is the connection between parent and child. Mm. It just so happened that it was a girl. I don't even think it's in the manuscript it is gender specific. Um, 
I think it might have been assumed and then the illustrator came up with these beautiful characters. But it was never assumed. And I think, I hope that when you read it, I mean, it's a great question, Sam, that you can feel the bond between parent and child and that can mm. transcend, you know, your actual role in your family. And I just thought, how cool is it that instead of, you know, you're going on those adventures alone as you did pre-kids, what if you just took your kid on the adventure? You know, I think there's a lot of narrative that, you know, kids are annoying and you can't take them anywhere and they're too noisy and they're too loud, which I can say is all true. But what if sometimes we just took them on the adventure with us and they came along with us and we learnt different things about each other at the same time? We're speaking about transcending and you mentioned about the, I think that with transcending, sorry, I should say, it applies to not just in terms of the dynamic and it could apply to any particular gender as well as I think that the mums being themselves is kind of the crux of what I think that, and I mean, at one point, I don't know if it's a tattoo and if it's a child's way of understanding a tattoo and as someone with tattoos, but there's <laughs> the to, to thine own self be true. It's written up mum's arm. Yeah. And if that's on per, temporary or permanent ink, that's, that's for the readers to decide. But in terms of being to thine own self be true, and I think that echoes throughout is being yourself and how important it is to be oneself. But I think that my takeaway was that mum being herself allows a child to be themselves. And I want you to talk a little bit about that as well, Danny, because that was kind of my takeaway too. Yeah, totally. You've just said so many things. That tattoo was actually a tattoo I have. Oh, good stuff. (laughs) Same place? No, I've got it on my back. Oh, okay. I was going to say it couldn't be a face tattoo. because It couldn't be a face tattoo. It's quite a big tattoo. So, Um, And that wasn't really important for me at, you know, time of life I was in. I was in a pretty bad relationship and it was a reminder to me to always be yourself and be true to yourself. And if something doesn't feel right, don't stay there, you know. Mm. So that was a really important reminder for me. But, yeah, absolutely. And and my son, he loves wearing girls, so-called girls, you know, packaged as girls' clothes because he says all the boys' clothes are boring and you know both my kids they like to just do whatever it is whether it's kind of you know perceived to be part of what it means to be a girl or boy or not and I'm really proud of that and I hope that comes from a place of me saying no no you just be who you are as long as you're a good kind person doesn't matter what people say to you or about you and people still do in 2022 you know they still ask my son why he's wearing this or they still question my daughter playing soccer And it kind of blows your mind because you think, oh, we're in 2022. Surely we can just do whatever makes us happy. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently we're not 100% there yet. (laughs) So I guess the more books that, you know, teach you that you should be yourself. And I think, you know, there's a line in there that says, you know, you you just lean into who you are and that's it and that's okay. And imagine all of us being unapologetically ourselves. Like, can you imagine that? Because mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes you're in situations or relationships or friendships or wherever where you feel like you have to kind of make yourself smaller or less than you are to to fit in or to not be this or not, not to be to that. And, you know, obviously we have to keep our jobs and we have to be respectful of people and all that stuff. But imagine if we could just be unapologetically ourselves. And I'm not sure if I'm even there yet because sometimes... Mm-hmm you know, those voices in your head that, you know, you've heard people say or you felt before that you're to this or to that stick with you. But wouldn't it be nice to just keep reminding ourselves that it's okay to be entirely ourselves and therefore our kids pick up on that as well? What better message, really? 
that's the best kind of message. And I also like that being extraordinary is not defined solely as being loud or using that uh, being bright and colorful. I think that's mentioned at one point as well. There's many different sort of definitions of being extraordinary and it's how you define it yourself. Again, along yeah. with uh, in keeping with who you are as a person. So you don't necessarily need to be the loudest person in the room, but as long <laughs> as you are who you are, then you're probably being extraordinary. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And that was something we were really careful with when we were, um, you know, editing the book to have those quieter moments because mm. I didn't want people to think, oh, you have to rock climb and you have to skinny dip to be extraordinary because that's not true. You know, it's about building communities. And these days I think families go far beyond our blood relatives. You know, families are the people we find amongst ourselves who allow us to be ourselves or, you know, who allow us to feel safe and loved. And they might not be, you know, our, our blood relatives. And, you know, there's quieter moments too. And that was a, a bit of a, a nod to, you know, mental well-being and, and anxiety as I think, you know, I've mentioned this a number of times. I, I like to say experience, but I definitely suffer from anxiety. <laughs> Um, changing the language doesn't stop me feeling like I'm suffering from it. Um, so I guess those quieter moments and that social intelligence of being, it's also extraordinary to go, okay, so we're going to stop. We're going to lock all the doors. We're going to mm. eat chocolate cake and we're just going to make sure we're okay. How important is that as well? And it's something that I kind of really haven't, it's not, it's not that I, I read all too many children's books or, or, mm. or picture books, but that being said, I mean, it's something that I still feel it's probably relatively within its infancy of kind of actually depicting that sort of thing of being, it's okay to not be okay. And to, yeah, to, like you said, to lock yourself away and to, to eat chocolate cake and have, <laughs> have one of those days. I think that narrative is getting stronger. You know, I know that it's okay day cops a little bit of flack from people saying, well, you can't just care about people on one day. Mm. But I think from someone like myself who suffered anxiety pretty much since birth, I reckon there was a real time in my twenties where I felt like I couldn't talk about it because people would think you were weird or people would say, Oh, you stop worrying. I mean, you know, anxiety is not about stop stopping worrying and people just wouldn't understand. And it was only until, you know, I, I got a bit older that those conversations were okay to have because of those, it's okay not to be okay, you know, because of the okay days, um, because of all the mental illness awareness out there. And so I think anything that sparks conversation that makes you feel like, you know, you're not the only one experiencing this and we can talk about it freely um, is, is a bonus. You know, there's no way I could have sat here and had that really simple conversation with you about anxiety 10 years ago. There's no mm -hmm. way. We're kind of, um, I was jumping a little bit ahead now because I had a question that I was planning to line <laughs> up at the end, but it's because it's just segue so beautifully of what you just kind of touched on there. I wanted to know if you think, Danny, that with, with books that potentially can be marketed towards a younger demographic, if they can still have like a resonance and impact on the adult readers that are reading them with their kids, um, within certain themes and stuff like that. What do you think? Yeah. Um, with Larrikin House particularly, they really like to hide the veggies behind you know, the fun, right? So fun first good, and, and kids will pick out the kids will find the peas because they're smart. I never realized how smart kids were until I had my own. I'm like, wow, you're really smart. So they know stuff and they pick stuff up. And I guess the challenge for me was this is, I guess this story is a bit of a love story to me and my relationship with my kids. And so, you know, I'm hoping, and I've gotten a lot of feedback from mums who are like, Oh, thank you. I finally, I feel seen. Mm -hmm. This was me. This is still me. This is amazing. So I think it is resonating with mums. And then on the flip side, you know, the publisher's always saying, well, what's the buy-in for the kid daddy? 
And I think that's why, you know, we made it really fun, you know, like mum goes skinny dipping and the kids all giggle, you know, mum's break dancing in the shopping centre and they all start giggling. So I think as long as you throw a lot of, um, you know, a lot of weird antics that are out there that are kind of extraordinary that you're not seeing mums do, um, you know, in mainstream stories, I think that's where the fun lies. So I've had a bit of feedback about, you know, the kids found this really, really funny because it's not something that, they see mums doing, you know, even with the tattoos. I mean, you go outside, I don't know what the population is of people with tattoos, but it's high. Mm. And yet you don't see a lot of tattooed parents represented in story. Definitely. And I don't know, I reckon it's, I wish I knew the stats, but a tattooed parent's got to be over 60%, surely. This is just a random st- statistic that Danny just made up then. <laughs> well, it's got to be changing, hopefully. But in terms of like feeling seen, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that as well because I think that um, I mentioned the dynamic before and I liked that it was uh, it was focused entirely on a mum and her daughter, but there was no, it was either, it was just left undisclosed as to what the mum's relationship status was. And I felt that that was another sort of, um, so much subverting the trope or going outside the convention, but it would be a case of, I would also feel seen in that it doesn't necessarily have to, a person's identity is not necessarily defined by being part of a nuclear family or being in that standard sort of a mum dad relationship. Yeah. Was that something again that kind of oh, just absolutely. came down? Yeah, no, absolutely. It was really important to me as a mum to go, this is just a story about the mum and daughter. Mm. And I didn't want to see a partner in the story at all. It doesn't mean a partner doesn't exist. It doesn't mm. mean a partner does exist either, by the way, but it just wasn't important to this part of their story. And I always think, you know, stories are just snapshots of a life, you know, mm. a whole mm. life. So of course this mum's going to have boring bits where she's saying, go and brush your teeth. But for this story, it wasn't relevant. It was just about the mum and the daughter. And I wanted to leave it open and ambiguous because I wanted the reader to decide, you know, I don't think there's enough stories about single parenting. I don't think there's enough stories. um, They're getting there obviously about same sex relationships because what we always see and what we're used to are those nuclear families. And of course they exist and of course they need to be represented, but I just wanted to represent something that, you know, it wasn't even a question on the table because it wasn't important to this story. I want to know, Damien, like you've been an English educator, you've interviewed, untold hundreds of people literally um how do you think that that's shaped you in terms of uh this particular story as well as your other sort of craft like is it through osmosis that you sort of absorb (laughs) these people's sort of qualities and characteristics is this where like questions arise about this sort of thing and then you know the ability to make people feel seen how do you think that that's sort of uh your career in that yeah, regard as well. That's an interesting question. Um, and I think it's twofold. I think with mm. the English teaching, um, you know, you go through uni and you do lots of English and then you teach English. So I think it's twofold. With the English teaching, you immerse yourself in, you know, the storytelling and how stories were put together and analysis of storytelling within particular concept contexts. And so mm. I guess that was osmosis. But then teaching that to kids as well, I think once you teach something, you feel like you've mastered it in a way. But it was always the theory of it and always the other side of it. You know, we were looking at it from a reader or from a a person writing an essay or or an analysis, you know, so that was a different way of doing it. But I I think it showed me a lot of the technical structural stuff and and, um, exposed me to a lot of stories. You know, Mm. at uni I was studying medieval literature, 
then I was teaching, um, you know, Shakespeare and Oscar Wilde and dystopian text. And at school I learned Greek theatre. So, you know, there was all these different influences that I guess however they come together to mush into your brain and they have to influence you somehow. And however that is, I don't know. I feel like it's more obvious when you write crime than it is when you write kids' books, but it's there somewhere, you know. And then on the flip side, asking authors exactly where all these things came from and asking about process you know at first it was very intimidating and you would interview Jackie French and you know one of my favorite all-time authors Elliot Perlman and think well what have I got to contribute to the literary community you know how can I even bother comparing with these amazing literary people but then you know you've got to sort of put that aside and say you know if you've got something to add or contribute or something to say that might be good enough. You know, I'm never mm. going to put myself in the same sort of category as someone like Elliot Pullman, but it doesn't mean I don't have something to say. So I think all of that together has somehow allowed me to, you know, put out something um, that I hope contributes in any way to the literary um, community. But I guess it's just all of that stuff is just a love and passion for reading, for writing, for unpicking and unraveling stories and, you know, looking at stories contextually. Like I love looking at, you know, I always talk about the picture of Dorian Gray, but looking at that contextually and thinking what Oscar Wilde was doing, you know, continually pushing boundaries and getting, getting himself in jail for writing the first version of that book. Like that's, that's great stuff, you know, and they're the pioneers of literature who pushed boundaries more than anybody and risked their own safety and their own lives. You know, the least we can do is try and push boundaries a little bit here and there. You know, I'm not going to end up in jail for writing My Extraordinary Mum like Oscar Wilde did for the picture of Dorian Gray. So I guess it, to honour those people, we need to, I guess, not be afraid and push the boundaries as much as we can today. That's so true. And like what you said about um, having something to say, and that's, 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 good, that's good enough in terms of, you know, and you, everyone gets plagued by uh, imposter syndrome. So I think that's impossible to sort of prevent yeah, in terms and of self-doubt. Like, yeah. I don't think you can be a writer or a creative without this self-doubt in you, but you've really got to separate the, I'm never going to be good enough to, well, let's just give it a crack and see what comes out because you know it's not really up to me to tell people my book's good it's up to other people and what they think and you know when it's out in the world it's not for me to tell anyone what it's about or whether they should enjoy it it's it's now owned by the reader as much as it's owned by me do you think i'm interested to see what you think in terms of the readership for compared to crime i actually think i wondered if you thought that children's books actually was a it was a tougher sort of gig like a tougher crowd because i think the kids I think that people can can push through what they kind of perceive as not a particularly enjoyable crime book, particularly if they're in a uh, um, like a book club that they you know they have to go back and then they're going to absolutely you know eviscerate it. But I think kids will will give up, and you know <laughs> if they lose their attention, then then the parents won't you know won't try and battle through it as well. So like, what do you think, Danny? Like in terms of the different readerships there? Yeah, it's definitely true. I think with kids, you know, we are. I don't know, a disadvantage, but I guess we've got the screens um, like we never have before, you know, never mm. like I had as a kid. You know, it was books or go play in the mud when I was a kid, you know. Same, very, very same, yep. <laughs> now it's um, very rarely playing the mud, although I do make my kids go and play in the mud because I'm like, go play in the mud. Um, you know, it's like playing in the mud a bit, um, screen time and books. You know, my kids are avid readers. They do love reading, but you're right. It, it's really about 
um, grabbing their attention. And, you know, I think you can do that through great characters. I think you can do that through humour, through banter, through dialogue, all those things. And I'm the first one my, when my son's laughing on the lounge reading a story, I'm the first one to go, what was funny? Tell me what was funny about that story. Tell me what you enjoyed about it because it's really interesting getting inside of, you know, a nine-year-old's head about what they find interesting and funny. And, like, my kids are my first go-to when I write anything for kids. And if they're not laughing, um, I'm getting rid of it. And if they're laughing, I'm highlighting it saying, keep this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm trying to give a junior fic um, a crack at the moment and they're my first audience. And I'll say to them, was that not funny enough? And they'll be like, oh, no, but it was interesting. I'm like, okay. And so they're really good sounding boards, I think. Um, but they're discerning. They're discerning readers, as they should Absolutely. be. You know, I think anything that kids put into their brains, whether it be, you know, games or TV or books, they need to be discerning and we need to teach them to be discerning. But I'm, I don't know, Sam, I'm, as, as an adult and as reading so much crime and, you know, I'd like to see how, how you are as well, it's, it's hard to get a book that blows your mind mm. these days, I reckon, because when you read so much, you're like, oh, that was really good. That was really good. But you almost read too much. Yeah. That <laughs> if I, if I'm not feeling a book within three chapters, I just won't, I won't continue it. And that doesn't mean it's a bad book. It just means that that book's not for me at this time. I think also maybe potentially it's because you've got just such a full, full, full dance card up until, you know, the year 2030 of, of, of guests and all these other sort of commitments. So you probably can't afford to kind of... A full dance card. I love that. It sounds really like I'm, at, I'm in Greece or something. I Bridget love that. Turned, I was like, I'm going to like full dance card. Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> I love it. There's a few different sort of qualities that I think that the mum in My Extraordinary Mum is trying to impart or, or you know, the reader as well by proxy of reading it. And I want to know, Danny, what you thought was probably the most important sort of qualities to impart in uh, children. So obviously there's to thine own self be true, which is very important, um, certainly in terms of being yourself. That's kind of the crux of what I took away from, from the book. But what do you think is like the most important qualities that, that kids should take away, not only from the reading My Extraordinary Mum, but just in general and kind of what parents should be trying to yeah. hopefully impart a very good, good parent. I think it encompasses like the whole thing is encompassed by not being afraid and that's not being afraid to be who you are. That's not being afraid to lean into things that you don't know. Like there's a line in there that says, you know, you aren't afraid to lean into the unknown. So as mm. long as it's a, you know, I'm not saying go out and risk and jump off roofs, but definitely, you know, go on adventures, you know, wherever you can say yes to things mm. and, and look at how your world expands, you know, and this is advice for myself as too. you know, anxiety is, is fear, is fear of the future, is fear of what's going to happen. And so I've really, tried I guess in my own life and I don't succeed often but just to say yes and not be afraid and so I think if kids can do that you know if you want to go to camp and never been away from home just try it and see what happens you know if you want to go on an adventure um, and we don't want to have a map like in the book just see what happens and go for it and I think just that calculated risk-taking is so important for imagination and problem solving and I think more than ever parents myself included guilty as we cotton ball our kids and I don't know why I think I mean we wrap them in cotton wool that's mm. what I mean 
And I don't know why, because, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, you were this free range kid who could just basically do whatever you wanted. Come home when the street lights are on, if you're lucky. Very Helmet, much. what's that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> And now we're like, wear your helmet and don't do this and don't go out and don't do that. And I think we live in a different world. So I think there's merit in all of that. And I do that myself. But I think where we cannot be afraid, we should do that, particularly with COVID. You know, even when you tried to hide that from your kids, they're not stupid. They know what's going on. They know more about COVID than you do because they just absorb it, you know. So I don't want my kids to grow up being afraid of everything. Obviously, some fear is good, keeps us alive. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't be afraid of everything. So I guess that shedding as much fear as you can, be yourself, you know, go on adventures, tell people if you're not feeling well, it's okay if you come last, who cares, you know, mm. as long as you're tried. You know, if you're not feeling good and you need a hug and you need to stay on the lounge, tell people. I think we're in a society of being so stoic. You know, I really hate that idea of soldiering on. You know that ad that we always see when you have a cold? Soldier on. Like, no, don't, don't soldier on. Stay at home with a blanket and a chocolate cake and get someone to give you a hug. Stuff soldiering on. I tell you another quality that really I took away from it wasn't it wasn't just in terms of design and self be true and have no fear but have reasonable fear yeah because fear just keep <laughs> your balance and balance. what you were talking about I was like it was you're speaking to my soul in terms of like going out you know in the mud and stuff like that the amount of scars from dumb stuff I did <laughs> in the back in the day falling off stuff doing all kinds of yeah so anyway but I think that there's one point we're talking about we talked a little bit about you know, subverting expectations, going out the norm, making making people feel seen. And it's also in terms of uh, how fami- families can be defined by communities, communities not necessarily be attached by blood or by people that look like us. And I think that there was one point as well, I was talking about essentially getting together and talking to people that don't look like you and don't come yeah. from the same background as you and hearing their sort of stories as well. Because I think that's probably the best way to create big, picture stuff I'm talking about here, Danny, but like that, if we did that, you know, you were talking about before about if everyone yeah. was silent and self be true and, you know, true self, if everyone listened to other people's stories of people that didn't look like them, you know, imagine yeah. that. We'd like imagine, imagine the potential that. that we could have to, to realise it like a utopia. There'd be no story. there'd be no world wars. It'd be a thing of the past, Sam. <laughs> I've got to say that page, the spread you're referring to has um, you know, we asked the illustrator to depict as many diverse people um, as we could and, and mm. we put that in the notes of what we wanted, but I didn't want to make a deal out of it. You know, mm. there's this beautiful little girl in a wheelchair, but I didn't want to mention it because I just wanted it to be this is what people, you know, this is how people are and I wanted to represent people in all forms because I wanted kids to see that that's just life. And I think once you start mentioning it and once you start making a big deal out of it, you're, you're differentiating again, you know, so that page, it's got, um, you know, people of different cultures and different age groups and different abilities. And they're all just standing around having hamburgers and a sausage and none of that stuff matters. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Imagine if we took that into life, even 10% of that. Imagine there's this study by this philosopher, which I find really interesting, who said that there'd be no road, rage there'd be no violence at all if we all just knew each other because if you're say if you you feel like there's an idiot driver behind you or something then you go oh wait that's my mate paul you'll be like hey paul back off mate and then you'll have a laugh and you'll carry on you know but if it's a stranger same as on the keyboard you know keyboard warriors you feel like you can kind of say anything to a stranger you know so imagine if you just looked at the world as if everybody mattered 
everybody, you know, you saw their family and their friends or whatever, and you saw them as a real actual living entity, you know, you would solve all of that stuff. And by listening to people's stories, you only need to listen to someone's story for five minutes and you get a completely different picture of who they are. You know, we might have some sort of assumption or judgment about someone from something we've seen or read or you know, assumed, but you spend five minutes with somebody like, oh, like I get where they're coming from. I understand their story. And maybe we don't do that enough. Definitely don't do that enough. Like I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's definitely true. And I think that if, if it can be taught and the way you describe with Larrikin House in terms of hiding the, hiding the meat behind the, <laughs> hiding whatever, the veggies. I'm, I'm mixing, mixing metaphors. Yeah. Mixing metaphors <laughs> behind the veggies behind the meat. But if, if we can do it from, from this level and if people can, can read, you know, it's, it's kids just absorb because it's, it, they haven't been beaten over the head with it and yeah. have been talked down to. Cause I think that, um, yeah. that's what my takeaway is from kids. The kids don't like being talked down to. They don't like no being way. treated like kids. So yeah. I think if you could do that, then there's no reason why within a generation, it couldn't be done. If, yeah. if, we, if we're getting stories like my extraordinary mum out there. In the I just world, had this I surreal, I just had this surreal moment, Sam, of you holding my book. And I remember us meeting both being unpublished authors and all of a sudden I just see you holding my book and I just had this really surreal moment of, wow, this is reality. It's happening. Ooh, it's happening. It's happening first, first of many, first of many. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 I'm, uh, yeah. It's so surreal. And yeah. It's just an absolute joy to be able to talk to you like this anyway. But um, I love being interviewed by you as well, because before we started, um, you know, getting to know each other, I, I knew that you'd interviewed lots of people, but not on a podcast. And then, mm. you know, watching you being this amazing interviewer, you're just so calm and chilled. And I'm not calm and chilled. No way. No <laughs> way. No way. Exactly. <laughs> oh, bless you. No, no, no. I'm very well-versed in anxiety, much like yourself, Danny. So, yeah. Absolutely. But we know how to, you know what? The people who are well-versed in anxiety are also well-versed in hiding it. Mm, very true. Very mm. true. And the I amount think... of people who say to me, I can't believe you have such debilitating anxiety. It's because we've spent a lifetime hiding that from people. Very, very, much. <laughs> very, very much. And then like, I guess on good days, you can kind of channel it on those real good days. You can kind of channel it creatively, yep. but then there's just yes, days where it's just no good. It's just, it's just not happening today. I think that's no. the, the main thing. One of like the main sort of writing tools or tips that I hear is like, and I'll just actively discourage people saying write every day and stuff. And I'm like, don't, if it's not <laughs> happening for you that day and you know your brain better than anyone else in your headspace, it's not happening for you. Accept that. Go away from the keyboard or the, the typewriter or the, you know, the writing desk. Cause I appreciate those days. And that's why I felt seen with my extraordinary mom when it was the, the day of um, locking yourself away off the chocolate cake and stuff like that. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. And they're important days, you know, and, and like I say, I just hope that whole mentality. And I think the, if the only good thing about COVID came out of it, there's when you're sick, stay at home. <laughs> you know, I think that's really important. And I'm not just talking about, you know, physically sick with a cold too. I think more and more we need to advocate for those mental wellbeing days Definitely. because you know, when you, when you are in that space, you just need to give yourself a warm hug. And sometimes the only way to do that is to stay at home with your calming blanket and a, limp, a couple of limp balls speaking from experience. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, speaking to me, speaking to my soul. <laughs> Danny, I really wanted to ask it kind of, um, my extraordinary mum closes with a very lovely sentiment that I want you to talk a little bit about. And it was about how we kind of, uh, we need to be reminded ourselves that we're extraordinary and it's important that we remind 
those around us and they're extraordinary as well, which doesn't necessarily mean those people that we just know, but it can mean strangers as well. So I want you to talk a little bit about this philosophy because it's beautiful and it made my heart sing and I want you to talk a little bit about it. <laughs> That's truly sweet, Sam. Yeah, I think we forget. Um, I think particularly in our culture, we're so quick when someone gives us a compliment, we're quick to say, oh, no, that doesn't mean anything or I just whipped that together or we very rarely say yes. Mm. And so, therefore, I think we're so plagued with self-doubt and parenting's hard and everything's hard and writing's hard and life is hard that sometimes it's really nice for you to remind yourself and be kind to yourself and go, you know what, I'm doing okay most days and that's that's pretty extraordinary. And so I think we almost have to be, I mean, it's twofold about being kind to other people but also being kind to yourself. And I often think that our harshest voices are to ourselves. You know, you hear people all the time, I look terrible in that photo. My voice sounds horrible on this podcast. My writing's the worst, whatever it is. And you haven't noticed what that other person has noticed about themselves. And you say, oh, no, like you, you're doing great or you look fine or you're amazing because we are our own worst critics. And so what I've been trying to do, but it's a daily reminder, is speak to myself like I would speak to a friend, mm-hmm. you know, and I would never speak to one of my friends or my children the way that I speak to myself sometimes, you know. So I think we all need reminding to just calm down on ourselves. No one's actually looking at us that intently because everyone's got their own stuff going on and everyone's busy. So they're probably not looking at you that intently anyway. So I think it's just about, you know, the sentiment of obviously being kind to others because you, you don't know their stories. I mean, touched that on touched on that before about sometimes when you know people's stories it allows you to be a little bit more empathetic towards whatever their situation is because it's easy to judge anyone from the outside without knowing stories but further to that it's about that kindness to oneself and going beyond beyond the idea of going you're not just doing okay but you know what it's all right to say that you did a good job on this and it's just not in our culture it's not in australian culture to and I'm not saying we should go around saying our, you know, we're wonderful all the time because that's not great either and no one's going to want to be around you. But I think, I think in a nutshell it's about going easy on yourself and if you do do a good job at something, whether it's, you know, cooking a good meal or having a great day with your kids or writing a great paragraph, it doesn't matter how small it is. It's okay to say, Sam, you did a great job today, mate. Pat yourself on the back and move on. You know, like that's okay. I don't think we do that enough. No, I agree with you. Um, like that voice and that, that sort of sentiment is, or that sentence that you just said, uh, some, some goes on in my brain, but, but I will definitely, like you said, as well as work in progress, endeavoring towards doing that. And I think it's just, it's, it's just very much a, a learning process. I think I find I was having a conversation with my mum the other day about how there was a couple of things, very trivial, totally not going to repeat because they're so dumb, like things that I just thought worst case scenario recently um one of them was pretty much disproven within like the day after saying it and i was like that's just another case of 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 no not giving yourself self-love and not really kind of believing in yourself because it's just a case of you going well oh god worst case scenario immediately like here's this situation that's yet to kind of reveal itself as to what's going on but immediately you just think worst case scenario and you're like well why is that because the chances are probably not the case as people you know uh, not kind enough to ourselves and yeah, acknowledging um, that we do uh, positive things and yeah, throughout your normal day as well as kind of potentially thinking, and maybe this is part and parcel of anxiety, but just thinking worst case scenarios of the most trivial oh, and silly things right. that turn out to be 
like within a day, it's revealed to you that that it was completely you were you were just thinking the worst case scenario, and when it most certainly wasn't the case. Um, but when you said the whole work and the progress thing, that just resonated with me because I'm like, yeah, that's just something that you just. It's not something that you just one day magically it goes away, but the the more mm. that you're kind of aware of it, I guess, and the more that that you you acknowledge that, that can be a trait and it's something that you can work on, that you can kind of uh, you know never never absolve yourself of it completely or eradicate it completely, mm. but you can kind of uh, get to a point where you're aware of what it is and that you know yeah have a better absolutely. quality of life, I guess. And the worst case scenario, like I'm laughing about it now, but it's just my life story. You know, like everything that happens, you think about this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. What about if this happens? And 90, no, 11 times out of 10, Sam, they don't happen. It's true. It's, it's so true. It's <laughs> but so it's true. just how brains are wired. Hey, do you think, um, you know, we're talking here with anxious brains. Do you think that there is something to do with creative brains and anxiety? Do you think they kind of live together in the same house? I think they kind of do, to be honest. Um, mm. I think that especially, um, I mean, like I'm like, I love writing, so I can't really speak for other sort of creative um, mediums or pursuits, but I think that with writing, it can serve a purpose and it can be to the benefit of a writer, I guess, because when you've got anxiety, you obsess over little details that other, I'm not going to say normie, um, more normal, <laughs> less less anxious people would, yeah. wouldn't even think of twice, but you'll think of that and then you go, oh, God, this one time I did this or this happened or this expression. And then so you go, people just dismiss that as insane. But you, you store it in your memory banks and then you say, well, then, you know, that allows you to kind of like fixate on these little details that you can kind of weave mm. into a story and people go, wow, okay, you know, that facial expression, that backstory, that reaction, that emotion, you know, all that sort of stuff is is legitimate. I think can definitely can definitely help. It kind of sucks when you're experiencing it yourself. But I think that from a writing capacity, I don't know. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, no, I, I love how, you know, we always try, and this is where anxiety and optimism um, live together, you know, and I'm not sure a lot of people know that. But with me, optimism and anxiety, they always live together, as weird as that is, because I'm always trying to flip it around, you know, like I started the podcast to channel all this negative, like oh, anxious energy I guess that I have and channel into something productive rather than it just sitting in me <laughs> and you know you're saying the same thing about overthinking and details about you know flipping that and then making your writing um, better so I think that's really cool where you can um, you know flip that narrative around you know what I'm going to ask you though this is like the, this is the question you can tell that someone that's anxiety sufferer is the one that came off this question and my podcast <laughs> is was there ever a time Danny throughout your your career of your writing getting to this point where you uh you considered sort of giving up on on the writing vocation and if so what was kind of uh what sort of happened as much as you're willing to share and how did you sort of mm. prevail over over that and bearing in yeah. mind oh sorry you go no no go um, i was just gonna say some people some people tell me that they go through it every day and i'm like i definitely resonate with that some people say that they've had it one time they can pinpoint when it happened, this one sort of crossroads when the devil met the devil. And there's other people that say, oh, I'm most envious of, they say that they haven't ever had that, um, aside from kind of pretty standard niggling doubts and what you'd get within sort of any sort of vocation, I guess. But yeah. tell me about you, Dave. Yeah, I guess, I guess my fear, um, my greatest fear is not doing it rather mm. than doing it and it not working out. You know, I remember when I started the podcast, 
you know, there were some people saying, oh, there are heaps of podcasts. Oh, there are heaps of podcasts on writing. You know, why would you bother? And I bothered anyway because I wanted to do it. And, you know, I just think fear can really hold you back. And sometimes, um, you know, other people's fears can hold you back. And so, and then people say to me, oh, you're so busy and you do so many podcasts. I don't know how you do it. But for me to not do it is scarier because then I sit in my own anxious energy and then I don't feel like I'm being productive. And for my brain, that's worse. So I guess you've got to choose the lesser evil. So I don't think there was ever a point that I was going to give up. There were certainly points where I thought I'm not good enough. I can never do this. I'm never going to get published, which was another, I guess, one of those little niggly fears. You know, I used to sometimes think to myself, what if I got to the end of my life and I was never published? Obviously, I'd be okay, but it would be one of those great disappointments, you know. It's just mm-hmm. one of those things that was always niggling at you and you you wanting to achieve that. Um, so I guess I, I guess I would have suffered a million rejections <laughs> and still not given up because, you know, be, like I said before, along with the anxiety, which is often very powerful and of, often very overwhelming, I also carry with it, and I don't know how, it's just part of my personality, this great optimism hmm. that it's going to be okay, even sometimes when I'm not sure it is something inside of me is like it's going to be okay and i think i've i've grown to believe that voice because of the times i've had anxiety to the point where i couldn't leave the house and i couldn't leave my own bed and i was having you know panic attacks you know sometimes every day when you're in that really bad space and i was able to get through that you know and i've had two of those episodes in my life of really intense anxiety and i've gotten through them both times and so I think with the anxiety, I have this growing confidence that you will get through it. It's, it's, it's a dark, long tunnel and it's going to suck for a while. And this is anxiety and writing. Mm. But, you know, there is the other side because you've seen the other side at least twice before. And so I think it's a good reminder. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm less afraid of rejection than I am of not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so with you in terms of what you mentioned as well about like the difference in productivity compared to like you either, if you're not sort of doing it, it's worse than not doing it. So I'm definitely with you on that one as well. But um, Yeah, it's a hard concept to grasp though, you know, because I think people think that, you know, being busy and overwhelmed is the worst thing mm-hmm. that you can do to yourself. But um, I don't know, maybe it's our personality or an anxious brain or whatever, but the worst thing I can do is sit mm. with this anxious energy and it have nowhere to go. Definitely. <laughs> no, definitely. I'm spot on with you. And, I, and you, you're totally right. I mean, there's a, there's a long, dark road, but I, and with the, the optimism you're talking about as well, like obviously I definitely feel that coming off you as well, emanating from your, your core, Danny core. And yeah, certainly like very similar um, birds of a fair ride are also very optimistic in terms of um, I feel like I'm a realist but also an optimist at heart and I think you do sort of need that as well and that is kind of what can you know make anxiety sort of sometimes anxiety wins for a while but never never completely um, yeah exactly and I think that's what I've got to trust myself you know and I sort of see it as anxiety sitting beside you you know mm. and I've come to terms that it's always going to sit beside me yep. I think when I first had it I was like no I'll just get a cure I'll throw a pill at it or some meditation yep. and it'll be gone forever which is not the case so, so i think i just see it as sitting beside me and sometimes it's quiet and small and it sits beside me and i hardly notice it sometimes it grows and it overshadows me and it's huge but yep. 
it's okay because it's manageable. You know, I can shrink it again. Sometimes it takes a bit more effort, but it's not, it's not stagnant in its size, I think. And as long as I keep that in my mind, I can sort of get by. For sure. And I guess it, it all kind of harkens back to what we've already sort of touched on, like my extraordinary mum in terms of being to my own self be true and to accept that that's a, that's a thing and that's totally valid. Like that's, that's not to be, um, you know, avoided or pretend that doesn't exist and it's certainly something to, to accept as well. Another thing I've kind of like with the publishing thing that you mentioned as well, and it's certainly something that I've kind of freaked out about as well. Going, oh God, like if it gets to the end of my life and I've never been published. Publishing, like the longer I've, the older I've gotten, the longer in the tooth I've gotten day. And there's the kind of like a thought more about it. I'm like, it's a weird pursuit that we're all pursuing because we're already doing the thing. Yeah. The writing and the publishing, when you boil it down and you know, there's a, the boil down to the purest form. It's having your words sealed on page, printed on page, mm. nice paper, sealed you with some glue adhesive into a <laughs> It's binding. validation though, isn't it? It's validation, it right? It mm. is. It is. It and, is. I've, and I've got such a problem with that. You know, I've got such mm. a problem with needing validation from external sources, but I think it's human. You know, I was having a conversation with someone before who said, you know, I think, you know, this may be true for men as well, but women, you know, constantly seek validation from men. And I just think it's in, in, it's in us to have that reassurance or validation from people that what we're doing is, is worthy, you know, in other people's Mm -hmm. eyes. And, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I mean, we both feel it. It's just, maybe it's just a part of the human experience in some ways, as long as it doesn't overtake your life, I guess. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I think it's something that, again, it's much like the the some days you're going to have bad days is that it's 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 inescapable and you kind of need to acknowledge <laughs> that that's going to be your companion probably for life and some yes. capacity or another. But the older you get, probably the 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 more you're kind of uh, you're kind of content with your your long life. I like to think anyway, you're kind of <laughs> kind of content with your long life. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. So. I don't know, Danny, but yeah, we're both in the pursuit of it. And I mean, like, obviously with you, you mentioned about me holding up a copy before, which listeners cannot see, but I'm still holding it up on the, the video <laughs> feed there. Um, Freaks me out every time you do. I don't know why. Well, look, and like, I've got to say, your setup is just like t- magnificent in the back there. They've got some, for listeners can't see, we've got some magnificent, but like the banner happening there as well. Danny's got the banner and like this, it's just this absolutely beautiful bookcase going on in the background as well it's just it's just phenomenal my uh do, do love a banner <laughs> absolutely absolutely and my i was going to put it on i was going to put on a virtual background because i know that my background is my spare room so um but i don't i don't like the virtual background because the blurriness yeah it yeah, kinda yeah. Like, it, it looks like, weird it, it looks weird and then when you move it kind of like it looks like i'm a like a floating head that's happened a couple of times and stuff like that so i'm not really anyway and then I people digress. are wondering, people are wondering what you're hiding behind your virtual background. Yeah. They're like, what do you got behind there, Sam? <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's just, that's just the, the crime writer, crime writer <laughs> oh, going, on, going on overdrive there. Danny, what I want to end with, and it's something that can apply to those writing children's books or crime books or any books, um, but I really wanted to get your opinion, particularly because, you know, you're writing, you've got your own projects, all of them very, you know, disparate from one another, as well as you've interviewed a million trillion people. What is the advice that you would give to aspiring authors that really are passionate, they really want to make a go of it? What do you, what would you suggest mm. to them? 
There's so much advice. I'm not sure if I can contribute well to this very crowded landscape, but I think there's two things, you know, first of all, just write with your heart and soul. I mean, I say this all the time, um, you know, that I, I got that from Trent Dalton, but it's so true. You know, we just want to feel things as readers and as writers, you know, that's why we read, that's why we watch Netflix because we fall in love with the people who are presented in front of us and we want to see what happens to them. And then we start paralleling our own lives and, you know, what would we do in that situation? Or I, I know exactly how that character feels, or I've always wanted to fall in love or meet a character like that. So we're driven by stories mm. and, you know, by the, the passion and what's in our soul and our heart. So I think whatever you write, whether it's crime or kids or picture books or a poem or Whatever you're writing, I think that has to be first and foremost. You know, we can get stuck in the technical, which, you know, I often do when I write crime, funnily enough, I get stuck in the technical, whereas in kids' books I don't, mm. which is interesting. And I think it, it loses something, you know, and I'll go back and I'll read, you know, what I've written for crime. I'm like, oh, well, it's very accurate. <laughs> it's very, you know, clinical, but where's, where's its heart and soul? And so I've often got to go back and edit those passages that I'm writing with crime because I feel like you're leaning a bit too heavily on, you know, the crime fiction, um, you know, what happens and the twist and the character and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And I guess the second thing is just, you just have to keep going because it's hard and, you know, even very well-known established authors that, you know, have become my friends, it's still not easy. You know, they still get stuck in parts of their books. Jack Heath said he gets stuck three quarters of the way through every book and wonders if he still has talent anymore. <laughs> and so just because you've written, you know, 40 books like Jack Heath, it doesn't mean that it gets any easier it looks like it from the outset you know to me jack looks like an absolute machine who just mm -hmm. writes these brilliant book after brilliant book after brilliant book but it's also nice to hear the struggle and the, and you know, it's probably not nice for him but it's nice to hear about you know someone as prolific as jack has that self-doubt as well so sit on the knife's edge of self-doubt you know have self-doubt make your writing better but don't allow self-doubt to cripple you from the writing i guess which is Actually, the advice I should be taking myself because I have a short crime story due to the lovely Craig Sisterson and it's late because I have not good enough itis. <laughs> the honesty, though, the honesty, yeah, the honesty. Um, yeah, so, Craig, I'm sorry if you're listening. I promise it's coming, but I promise I don't think go. it's still good enough. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, so true, so true. Like, it doesn't it doesn't get easier and seemingly for, for people like Jack that, you know, produce terrific title after truth title you think oh yeah it, it does get easier definitely he um, just writes a novel over lunch these days but no <laughs> and also what you said about the you know writing on the knife's edge of the self-doubt is, is definitely is definitely um spot on there and i can totally relate to that as well but i'm glad that you keep doing what you're doing danny with your truly staggering workload and, and commitments that you that you managed to do so yeah craig the story's coming but uh in the interim danny thank you so much for talking to me on the show and i greatly appreciate it Oh, Sam, I can't believe how deeply you have looked at this book and all the magnificent questions you've asked. I really honestly appreciate it. And I just think you didn't need my advice as a podcaster. You're just like this complete yes, I natural. Did. I, did. I feel like no, a complete fraud did. giving you advice. No, 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 no. I can't, I can't ever thank you. And I'll never, 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 never forget it. I'll never not sing songs of your praise. So no, thank you so much, Tony. Seriously, man. No. 
But thank you. You've looked at this um, unbelievably. It's kind of brought, brought a few little happy tears to my eyes. So thank you, fellow anxious podcaster. <laughs> Absolute anxious podcaster. Thanks, Danny. So everyone, there you have it. That was me and Danny V discussing her debut children's picture book that's just come out from the good folks at Larrikin House, My Extraordinary Mum. So huge thanks to both Danny V and Larrikin House for publishing My Extraordinary Mum and for Danny V for discussing My Extraordinary Mum on the show tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure discussing with her that, as well as writing, as well as podcasting, as well as anxiety, all the, the real meaty stuff, I guess, uh, that comes with being a human and a creative and all that sort of thing. So absolutely huge, huge uh, thanks to Danny V for talking with me on the show and just being such a good human and doing so much for industry and for me and my own sort of uh, career there and journey. So yeah, huge thanks to Danny. Absolute pleasure talking to her on the show as well. I'll um, drop into the biography slash description of this particular episode, the link uh, for Larrikin House, where you can pick up your copy of My Extraordinary Mum, uh, along with a lot of other titles there. So get a copy of My Extraordinary Mum and peruse all those other titles as well and get yourself a copy of them and all the others as well but yeah huge thanks to Danny again and while I'm in the thank you mood thank you so much for you dear listener and to you I should say for listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast program as well as listening to what we like to refer to as the ever proliferating back catalogue there of all the different other sort of episodes as well for the disparate sort of guests that have come about united or the only sort of uh, one commonality can be found is that they're all incredibly talented uh, well, it could be argued, but it could certainly be made that they're all lovely humans as well. So I'll, I'll say that as well. So talented, talented in their own right, depending upon what it is their creative pursuit is, as well as all great humans. So it's very nice that we're getting up to speaking to about 60, 70 odd uh, great humans about their creative craft or what they've done you know, to help others with their creative craft. So it's an absolute joy and a privilege and a pleasure to be the person that gets to talk to these people on this program with this rollercoaster ride of success that's been going on with the show and the popularity. So again, can't stress enough to you. Thank you so much for you. To you, I should say, I don't know why I keep tripping over that, but for you and to you for listening to this episode as well as uh, listening to all the others and telling everyone about the show and giving a cheeky follow on Spotify if you haven't already. Rest assured, I've got a few more episodes for the year coming up, kind of winding down a bit because I'm going to have to take off some time towards the latter half of the year, closing half of the year because I've got some some uh, stuff, some good stuff going on in that sort of sphere. So I'll keep that uh, under my hat for the time being, but you know, watch this space because there's some good stuff coming up. But in the interim, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Give a follow on Spotify if you haven't already. And you know, be sure to check across the socials of the show for all the latest and greatest news that's coming up about what's going on, including new guests that are coming out too. So in the interim, thank you so much. And I bid you all a wonderful evening daytime, morning, afternoon, whatever time you listen to this episode on.